Welcome to Leading from Alignment, a weekly podcast from Converge Coaching, where our passion is to help you lead better, lead longer, and enjoy it more. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of Leading from Alignment with our good friend, coach, mentor, John Opaluski. And again this week, uh, a new friend that is helping so many. John, would you uh, just say hi to everybody and then introduce our friend? Yeah, Jim, thanks uh, for the introduction. It's good to be with all of our listeners and watchers today, and especially we're glad to be with Sean Nemechek. Sean was with us in episode 185. He's written this marvelous book called The Weary Leader's Guide to Burnout. And it is a good read. It is a timely book. And uh, Sean was with us uh, last week and uh, just dropped so many bombs, good buns, you know, truth bombs on us. <laughs> and, um, and Sean, thank you for coming back and spending another week with us. Thanks, guys. It's it's quite a pleasure to be here again. Yeah. So, Sean, um, can you kind of recap a little bit of episode 185 for those who might not have heard it? Uh, just give us the highlights. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about what uh, really leads to burnout. What are some of the symptoms? Uh, I shared a little bit of my own story of burnout, uh, how it, it really came out of being in a place where I faced a lot of criticism uh, and I wasn't able to care for my own soul well. Um, and so there were some things that I had to learn uh, along the way to, to recover. And uh, so at the heart of it, we, we talked about burnout is, is really uh, diagnosable by asking yourself four questions. Um, am I deeply fatigued? Uh, am I experiencing uh, less effectiveness in my work? Uh, have I lost my sense of self? And am I feeling hopeless or have I lost my optimism? Uh, and so we we explored a little bit around uh, that and uh, the idea of compassion fatigue, which is really the idea of running out of compassion because of a lack of self-care. And so now I'm excited to see where this conversation goes next. So are we. Uh, Sean, in, in chapter four, of your book, you stated, you said something that really caught my attention. You stated that burnout is caused by two interior faults, anxiety and shame. And, mm -hmm. and that's underlined in my book, in my copy of the book. Yeah. Um, can you enlarge on that statement? Because I thought, wow, that I've, I don't know that I've heard anybody connect burnout to those two dots of of anxiety and shame can you can you help us understand that better sure so burnout starts with uh, a dysfunctional workplace uh, a workplace where there's a sufficient amount of negative stuff um that that's happening around us uh so you're not going to burn out if you're in a good healthy happy workplace but uh it's the internal response to that workplace we're not managing the stress uh, of of that work well. And uh, I actually found uh, Steve Cuss in his book, Managing Leadership Anxiety, uh, made the statement that burnout has more to do with anxiety than it does with overwork. And that caught my attention. So I, yeah. I explored that a little bit with the pastors I was coaching and uh, my own story. And I found there are really two things that happen in every uh, story that I'm talking uh, or that I'm hearing. Uh, one is that there's deep anxiety and deep shame. And really, those are like mm -hmm. evil twins. Um, mm -hmm. They feed off one another and they create this spiral that just sucks us down. 
Um, and so uh, when you have a situation that that is creating a lot of anxiety, like I experienced with my constant critic, and you're responding to that anxiety with shame, I should be able to handle this, or I, I'm not as good as I thought I was, or just this negative self-talk that happens, um, that is a, a horrible vortex that's going to suck us down into burnout. And every story of burnout is different, but those two things, almost everyone I talk to, uh, they have anxiety and shame in common. Can you, can you give us an idea of what's causing the anxiety? When people come to you for for help, is there some some normal place you would expect for them to say it's the budget, it's 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 the deacon. It's what what is it that's causing the anxiety? Yeah, it's it's different from story to story. Okay. Um, so when I talk with pastors who are associate pastors in very large churches, mm -hmm. it's the constant drain of trying to maintain momentum. Um, yeah, that yeah. that sucks them down. Yeah, um, others it's a misfit uh, where their values don't match the values of the board or the church. Uh, in some places, that leads to conflict, and, and it can be conflict that causes the anxiety. Yeah. Um, other times, there are internal things that, that are going on that go all the way back to childhood, you know, uh, right. and that have never been dealt with. Uh, and so there's some anxiety generating things there. Um, and shame is is just so present in among pastors right now um, right. because um, pastors are so isolated. And in order to overcome shame, you need a friend, you need somebody who can listen with empathy and right. speak back to you the truth. And if you're isolated, you just don't have that. Um, right. And so the isolation that a lot of pastors experience only gets worse with burnout uh, because of the shame and the anxiety they're experiencing. So so let's say that somebody's listening right now, they say, okay, I, I, I'm nodding my head, I'm wiping my eyes at the same time, I'm getting this. What? Begin that process now of moving from those things towards a healthier place. Tell us that pathway. What does that look like? It starts with connecting with safe people. Uh, you okay. cannot recover from burnout on your own. Uh, you can try, okay. Uh, okay. but be because burnout and isolation go hand in hand, um, you really need some safe people. Now, a lot of pastors that I talk with, have no friends in the church. Uh, they have no friends yeah. in the community. They don't even know where to start. Um, wow. And I was like that. So I had to start with a group of people that I hired uh, to teach me what it was like to have safe relationships. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I hired a mentor. I found a mentor. I hired a counselor. I hired a spiritual director. I hired a ministry coach. Uh, wow. And I connected with a, another pastor who became a, a good friend. And it was through finding safe relationships with them that I was able then to explore my own sense of security in Christ. Um, this is wow. the other major piece, is, is really digging deeply into what God says about us through yeah. our unity with Christ. Um, so those two things then create the space where you can go into the other areas of, of working on your boundaries, your values, uh, mm. your soul care, um, your maybe... Uh, destructive habits or other yeah. issues that may be popping up, childhood wounds, a um, number of different things that you can explore. Uh, but it really starts with having safe friends and a sense of security in Christ. If you don't have those, uh, it's going to be hard to recover. And Sean, I'd like you to unpack both of those a little deeper. Yeah. When you say safe, 
how do I know somebody's safe? Yeah, that's a hard question, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I was just talking with a, a pastoral couple this last week, and they said uh, every time we we reach out to somebody and we get close to somebody, we get burned. Um, Ouch. That's the nature of close relationships. The closer we get to somebody, the more potential they have to hurt us. And yeah. if we're friends with somebody for enough time, they are going to hurt us. It's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, and so we have to recognize that, for one, we can't expect perfection out of our, our friendships. Okay. But yeah. a safe person is somebody who is going to listen with empathy. Um, they're not going to be formulating a response in their head. They're going to meet you right where you're at, and yeah. they're going to ask questions for deeper understanding rather than giving advice or preaching at you or offering to help you. They're going to let you struggle with what you need to struggle with, but they're going to they're going to also let you know they're they're with you in it. Um, mm -hmm. And so a safe person is somebody who really deeply understands where you're at and they won't offer advice unless asked. Um, they're also mm. the type of people who aren't going to repeat this, what you say to others. They're okay. not going to yeah. hold this against you. They're not going to use it or let it hang over your head. Um, they're, they're interested in your health and your well-being. And uh, uh, really, a safe person just loves you for who you are, um, not for what you can offer them. Uh, so in, in pastoral ministry, um, I, fi I find it's necessary for pastors to have somebody who is not seeking any ministry from them, but is just there because they love you for who good. you are. That's so good. Yeah. You know, the um, the uh, the other thing that you were mentioning is, I, I, I don't know if you said the word identity, Sean. Yeah. But I think you alluded to it. How, how does identity impact that trajectory of recovery since you brought it up i thought i would just ask yeah yeah i i try to use the word security first before identity um okay. the idea of just how secure we are in christ um there's a phrase that i use that you are fully and permanently loved by god yeah. um and sometimes we get lost on that we forget that idea and we start kind of falling into these performative ways of relating to God that if I do this, then God will love me more. Well, that's silly. God can't love you more. Right. Right. Um, he, yeah, and and we'll love you less. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And he demonstrates that love in Christ. Yeah. And so then exploring what scripture says about what it means to be in Christ, to be united with him, yeah. um, to be uh, so connected with him that in, in many ways, uh, God says the same things about us that he says about Jesus. And some of those are pretty profound. If you just find yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the statement in Christ and go look through all the in Christ statements of the New Testament, yeah. uh, they'll blow you away with how yeah, yeah. beautiful and wonderful they are. And it's from those, what, those things that God says about us in Christ that we form identity. Um, yeah. That it's not shaped by what the people around us say. It's not even shaped by what our internal critic says or what we think about ourselves, what right. our shame is saying. Uh, our identity is rooted and founded in what God says about us in Christ. And it's all good. It's yeah. beautiful. It's wonderful. Um, and so learning to live from the security we have that comes from being adopted children of our Heavenly Father 
um, then allows us to move into spaces where we're going to face conflict, where friends are going to abandon us, but that doesn't really touch our identity anymore because right. our identity is found in Christ. Is that, uh, you know, going from what I know in scriptures I can quote to who I am is a meditative act, or maybe maybe mindfulness would be kind of a more modern way to say that. Can you kind of describe this a little bit? Like, I, I, I know it, but I don't know it. How do you get it right. from what I know to who I am? And, and, you know, using that that meditative thought. Yeah, so anytime we learn something new, it starts with information, right? We get it in right. our head. We get the information down. We can repeat it to others. Then if, if we're really spending time on it, it starts to to shape our behavior and change our behavior. But we really haven't gotten this truth until it changes our heart, until right. it gets down deep uh, inside. So um, yeah. And so, yeah, it takes time. Uh, it takes a lot of time sitting with these truths. At first, there's going to feel like there's a large gap between what God says and what I experience. Um, yeah. And the more we meditate, the more we we really intentionally take these into the core of our being, the more we realize these are true about us. Uh, and it takes time. And, and mindfulness can help with that. I have a mindfulness practice that I teach to pastors. And really, mindfulness is just being aware of what's going okay. on around you and inside you, um, and especially okay. what the Holy Spirit is saying to you uh, in this space. And so as I take them through this practice, it creates just the sense of stillness and focus in your spirit that allows the the, the word of God to, to penetrate deeply, more deeply right. than if we're distracted, if we're constantly uh, shifting our attention. Uh, and so th the practice of mindfulness, I think, is a really helpful tool to open up space for that relationship with God that, that really helps us plug into that identity at a deeper level. That's so good. I, I was thinking about one of the ways, Sean, that I, I work on that uh, myself is after several times a week after spending time with the Lord in worship and prayer and, and study of the word. Um, just saying something like this, Lord, I thank you that before I start my work day, you're well pleased with me. Mm -hmm. uh, that in love, you adopted me according to your will and pleasure that I'm your son. And my value today doesn't come from what I do. It comes from who I belong to. Help me to stay in that posture in my meetings today, Lord. Help me to stay in that posture in the things I'm trying to think through. And and I'm finding yeah. that 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 a rhythm of practicing that out mm -hmm. loud yeah. seems to help it go from my noggin and push it more toward my heart and and shape. That that internal, you said it, it comes with change of your heart. Real, the real thing is changing your yeah. heart, and and I think that's yeah. one of the ways, one of the mechanisms yeah. God seems to use for me to help that shaping of my heart occur. Does that sound anywhere close to being healthy? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll tell you one of the major changes that happened in me, or that that uh, helped me to see this this change was happening in me was uh, what I would say before entering the pulpit. Uh, mm -hmm. Before entering the pulpit, it used to be, Lord, just be pleased with what I say. There, there was a certain amount of anxiety uh, in mm -hmm. performance in my prayer. Yeah. And then it, it changed to, God, I know you're pleased with me. I, I know you love me. 
help me to fully experience your love as I show it to others so that yeah. it can flow yeah. through me uh, into this, the, the people that I'm preaching to. Um, that's a radical change. In a, it doesn't change what I said, but it changes the tone that I say it with. I step yeah. into the pulpit in anxiety. I'm going to probably sound a little bit angry, a little bit stressed, a little tense. If I step yeah. into the pulpit feeling loved by God, mm -hmm. uh, there's going to be more compassion and gentleness in, in what I say. It's funny. What I heard you just say was I, I, if I, if I walk up there the first way sermon, laugh at my jokes, cry at my stories, because I'm working for that right? versus I, I'm working from a, a place that it'd be nice if it happens, but I'm, I'm already loved. I'm already safe. I'm already good. I don't, I don't have to say it really loud. I told my congregation, I finally told on myself, I said, if I'm, if I'm saying really loud, what that means is I'm not sure if this is true or not. And I need you to nod your head. That's, that's why I'm louder. <laughs> of course, everybody laughs and you can't do it again. But if you do it again, they, they laugh at you. But that thought that I'm from the, from this place of love, I, I can now love you versus I, I'm not sure if I'm loved. And you're going to tell me if I'm loved or not by the way you react to my message. I, you can really get off the deep end pretty quick. And that that's really at the heart of what this book is about. I say that yeah. burnout is what happens when our inner life with God isn't sufficient to sustain our outer work for God. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we know that we've recovered from burnout when our inner life with God is the, <laughs> the fountain from which our ministry springs. It's, it's yeah. where our ministry flows out of naturally. It's not something we have to produce. It's not something we have to generate. It actually comes from this overflow of God's love in our lives. Yeah. That's so good. You know, uh, yeah. uh, Sean, one of the ways I pray before I get into the onto a platform before I preach is, Lord, I thank you that I don't have to, anything to prove today. Mm -hmm. yep. And that just relaxes me. Like, I, I have nothing to prove here. Uh, and, uh, and so I, I just love the, you know, some of the things you brought to that and Jim's brought some good thoughts to that as well. I, I think, I think the pulpit can be a real source of anxiety oh, uh, yeah. uh, for leaders and just having a posture of, you know, I don't, first of all, Lord, I'm loved whether this is a home run or not. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, you're going to be with me for real on that platform. I'm not doing this by myself today. Help me to relax, have fun, just get out of your way and let you do your thing. And 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 if I can get to the platform with that posture, it's such a more pleasant experience for everybody in the room, including the preacher. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, especially the preacher. Yeah. So I yeah, appreciate my, that. My uh, kind of mantra that I would tell myself before preaching is very similar to that um, I would just remind myself, Sean, you are fully and permanently loved by God, which means you have nothing to fear, you have nothing to lose, and you have nothing to prove. That's good. Now, you know, that just sets you free. It uh, really you can go and, and just preach from your heart and give your all to to it because of that, that security you have. Yeah. Right on. Sean, uh, we have a couple of more questions. We're starting to butt up against time, but I want to get to these last two in the book, yeah. you talk about setting and enforcing healthy boundaries. Can you explain real quick to us, what is a boundary? Because that Bound sometimes terms get used, you know, and I think we don't always understand what we're saying. Yeah, a boundary is just uh, the limits that allow you, you to define your freedom. 
Uh, so think of uh, a soccer game, for example. I used to play goalie in, in junior high. And uh, so there were boundaries to where I could pick up the ball and where I couldn't yeah. pick up the ball. There were also further boundaries. If I, I crossed them, I was no longer allowed to play the game. Uh, you know, you had to live within these boundaries. <clears throat> I, I think there are minimum things that we have to do and maximum things we have to have to stay within that define our freedom uh, to play. Uh, and so boundaries are just the things that tell us this is where God has made you to be, where God is, has designed you to live. Um, but I never start with the boundaries conversation. I always start with values um, because I find that most pastors um, have made so many compromises over a long period of time. They fall into so much people pleasing that their values have gotten flipped upside down. And so right. they need to to define and um, prioritize those values and see for themselves just how they've been living out of whack. Um, mm-hmm. And then from that, we start talking about setting some boundaries. And yeah. boundaries aren't really about controlling other people. They're, they're really about controlling yourself. Um, you know, what, what you will do and won't do, they, they tell you where you end and where somebody else begins. So that you don't become over responsible or under responsible, um, but you're you're living within exactly what God has called you to do, and when you do that, there's freedom. It's fun, man. Play the game. It's it's a lot of, of fun to find uh, that freedom within the boundaries that God has given. You know, like like any boundary or any any line, I guess internationally, there's always there's always laws that govern what's inside of those boundaries. But there's often guys with guns you know, at, at the entry points of those. Right. So, so back to the person who's got the, the, the one strong personality who doesn't want them there. It's almost, there was that old statement where don't wrestle with a pig in the mud because you both get dirty and the pig likes it. And I'm not calling anybody a pig. I don't mean to say that, but, <laughs> but that thought that people, some people just want to fight. They make a, they make a life out of being the fault finding obnoxious, angry person, and they would not to be anything else. What, what, what is a practical boundary if, if a pastor is listening to this right now and and they're all nodding their head going, yeah, Sean, tell me, what do I do with this person? What, what, you know, say, I won't be treated that way. Is that a boundary? Or, hey, if, if you continue to talk maliciously and with division amongst others, you're going to be asked to leave. Um, it, what, what is the proper set, set a, a reasonable expectation for a boundary that would, that would protect you, but also protect the church that you're serving? So a boundary that I use sometimes when dealing with somebody who is kind of uh, abusive or argumentative or critical is that I won't let their emotions infect mine. Um, And so I'm just going to set a boundary here that says I will be responsible for my own emotions. They'll they'll come from within me. I won't let anybody else affect me in that way. And so we're creating some distance. If somebody's angry with me, okay, that means... My boundary says they can be angry. I can't control their anger. I'm not going to try to control their anger. I'm just yeah. not going to become angry because they're angry. Um, and so I'm going to be curious. What's going on? That What's infuriates you know, that infuriates people like that. <laughs> when, and, and, calm when they're trying to get you riled. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, Jesus said something about that, you know, yeah. heaping burning coals on their head with a gentle yeah. response. But Honestly, uh, that that sense of maintaining my composure, um, Friedman called it a non-anxious presence, um, mm. really helps me to remember that my emotions are within my bounds, and I'm not to infect others with what I'm experiencing either. 
So I have to be careful about manipulation or anger or shame that I project onto others as well. And so that boundary works both ways. Um, But that's that's a major one for me is recognizing other people's emotions, what's happening in me and not mixing the two up. Right. And I'm, and I'm safe and I'm loved and I don't need to fight fire with fire, you know, get it all out. And now let's deal with the realities of what you said and the things that aren't real, we're going to call as well. And yeah. So all of this, it sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't mean to oversimplify it, but if my walk with God is a hundred percent, the odds of me burning out uh, really go down maybe to zero because not Elijah, there's, you know, there's lots of people that burned out. They're really close to God. So I don't mean to say it's maybe zero percent too too ambitious, but that thought that if 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 I'm in an intimate, ongoing, loving relationship with my heavenly Father, then things that might burn me out because they're so big, they're not as big as He is. Things that might draw for me and drain me, I He's He's inexhaustible. And if I'm respecting His laws by taking time to rest and so forth, is that like talk to us a little bit about nurturing? Again, burned out, going through a hard time, not quite sure what to do next. You would probably say. Like first things first, get get closer to God to some degree, right? You're gonna need help. You're gonna need coaching. I need friendship. But talk to us a little bit about nurturing our walk with God and and the help that comes out of that. Yeah, I think walking closely with God in a healthy community of believers, um, yeah. those two things have to be in place. If you're doing that well, you're not gonna burn out. Um, yeah, and largely because uh, mm-hmm. a lot of our burnout comes from doing things God never asked us to do. Uh, or taking responsibility that isn't ours to carry. Um, And so we get frustrated when things don't happen that we think should happen, and God never promised they would uh, because we've gotten off of his path. And so the more we can shape our will to match the will of the Father, the less less likely we are to burn out. Um, And so, yeah, I think walking closely with God, learning to listen to his le- his leading and his instruction. I mean, that's that's what Jesus described his his food, his the yeah. thing that gave him energy was to hear the father's words and do what he sees the father doing. And yeah. the more we do that, I think the more energized we're going to be in ministry. Right on. John, any closing thoughts uh, to close us out today? I just want to say thank you, Sean, for yeah. carving out time to be with us for two episodes. It's been uh, inspirational. It's been uh, uh, mind, not mind altering, but it's really altered some of the ways I think about burnout. And uh, and we appreciate you so much. Thank you for uh, being willing to share your story for the benefit of others uh, who are listening or watching today. And uh, we're so excited about your, your new book, The Weary Leader's Guide to Burnout. We hope it sells a million copies. It oh, gets into the awesome. hands of pastors all over, all over the place. Because um, as we stated it in episode 185, right at the beginning, we we see burnout at a rate I've never seen it like this. And so this is a wonderful resource, Sean. How how would they uh, get a copy of your book or be able to reach out to you? So you can find the book anywhere books are sold right now. Um, I encourage people to go to their their local bookstore and buy it there. Uh, but if uh, you just go to wearyleadersguide.com, uh, there's links on where you can get the book. There's endorsements. There's all sorts of things available. Uh, and they can find out more about me and download some free resources that go along with the book at seannemichek.com. 
Uh, and if they go to, to my website, uh, there's links there uh, to download a companion guide for the book, a suggested reading list, uh, and more. Awesome. Yeah. I told Sean that my only complaint about the book is 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 with this book, this this one highlighter pen is not enough. That's my only complaint. It's <laughs> it's rich, it's full, it's satisfying, it's wise, it's compassionate, and it's uh it's intriguing, it's helpful. So thank you very much. And uh, as always, if we can be any help to you along this road, uh convergecoach.com is always there for you. There's a the first thing that pops up is a links to Talk to us, communicate with us, contact us, Link. And uh, one of the Converge team will be with you soon to, to sit there and talk. Do you need to go you know, see a therapist? Do you just need a coach? Do you, do you need a half hour to kind of process something and you're okay? How would you know the difference between those three things? That's what we're here for. We're here to help. So John's vision is, is to help leaders really lead uh, longer, better, and, and in a healthy way, having more fun doing it. So we hope that... Uh, you will continue to, to just journey with us. And Sean, it's it's just good to be around smart and compassionate people. So God bless you. Thanks for that. And thank you, dear listeners and watchers, for being a part of this. This is our, what, 160, 186, 186 yes. um, episode. And uh, we'll see you again, 187, next week, as you continue to lead from alignment.